Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, church. Uh, sorry we couldn't be there with you today. We are up ministering at C3 Kingscliff and uh, so good to be up here with these guys. But I wanted us to continue on our uh, I've Always Wanted to Ask series. And we kickstarted this series off last Sunday. And it was just great just to look at a bunch of different questions that you guys have submitted and asked and just to get a collective idea of where we stand on certain issues, what the Bible says about certain things. And probably one of the best things I wanted to to convey to us was um, this sense of where do we shape our worldview? So many people, uh, unfortunately, shape their worldview off social media or articles they read online or different opinions they might hear on the TV or the radio. Um, And I want to really encourage us as a church to be a a thinking church, uh, a thinking people that we would go especially to God's word and, and, and research and dig into what he says about certain issues and that the worldview that we shape, the lens with which we view life would be seen through the lens of of scripture, through God's word, through ultimately the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's primarily how I'll be tackling most of these questions uh, is through the lens of scripture and what God would say to us through his word. And so we looked at a vast uh, array of things last week, and you can check the podcast out for uh, what you might have missed last week. But today we're going to answer a few different questions, and uh, and we'll see where we go. So let's kick off, first of all, with um, how do you know the difference between God's voice and your voice? A great question. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us... Um, probably wrestle with this every single day. There's a, a, a multitude of voices that, that go on in our head. And, and really, it seems like the daily struggle is just to decipher and discern which voices are which, which voices are ours, which voices are external, which voices are God, and, and how do we then appropriate that? Um, one of the things I would say is, is God never contradicts himself. And what I mean by that is that God's word, the Bible, um, essentially is God's voice to us. And if we have voices that are rolling around in our head that uh, contradict what the Bible teaches, well, then we can safely say that those words, those voices in our head are not God. They're something else. Scripture teaches us that we need to take captive every thought and submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so for me, when I'm thinking through my thoughts and I've got stacks of different voices in my head pulling me in different directions, I've got to stop and and put each voice in a certain category, in a certain place and and discern which voices are worth listening to, which voices do I need to throw out and reject. Ultimately, every thought needs to surrender itself to Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is by knowing God's word and it becomes the standard or the measuring stick by which we assess the thoughts that we have. So that's one thing I would say is is do the thoughts we have uh, line up or measure up with scripture because God will never contradict himself. Um, and and we've got to become familiar with God, God's voice. Um, I think once, once we become familiar with God's voice, it's easy to understand or identify what God's voice sounds like, what, what it feels like when we hear or we have that unction that we would talk about in our spirit about God. And, and that only comes with, um, with time and frequency in God's 
presence. It's, uh, I call it proximity uh, versus passivity. And so we have to be in close proximity to God uh, in order to hear his voice, to hear what he's saying. And, and proximity is about us getting out of ourselves and putting ourselves into a place where God is. And that's through through prayer, through getting beyond ourselves and praying. It's through reading God's word and getting into that. It's through worshiping God. It's, it's taking ourselves from beyond where we are and putting ourselves where he is so that we get familiar and we get a, a closeness or a proximity to uh, to God's voice and God's word. And, and that doesn't come with passivity. That doesn't come through us just sitting back and just waiting to hear from God. And it's us pursuing. You know, James 4.8 says that as, as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And the Bible constantly describes the voice of God like a whisper. And that's not because God is is trying to be cheeky or God is trying to be, um, you know, difficult to hear. But it's because God wants that nearness. He wants that closeness. He wants that intimacy with us so that he can just whisper in our ear because we are so close to hear his voice. And and one other thought I would have is that um, sometimes we just need to take a step of faith. Sometimes we just need to um, not overthink and allow our overthinkedness, if that even is a word, to keep us complacent or apathetic in our walk with God. I, I, I've seen so many people over the years who um, will say really spiritual things like, I'm just waiting on God. I'm waiting for a green light. I'm waiting for God to tell me. And, and I kind of feel like God's like going just do something. Um, you know, when the Bible talks about us waiting on God, it's so that in the waiting we'd be refreshed, in the waiting we'd be renewed, in the waiting we'd be strengthened. Um, and, and God is wanting us to take that strength, that refreshment that we get from him to just do something. And I love how the, the, the Bible teaches us um, oftentimes with with vague terms or, or, or outlines that we have to bring the color for. Um, you know, the Bible says that whoever comes to me, the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Uh, it also says, whatever is good, whatever is whatever, think on these things. The Bible is 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 telling us, hey, just take a step of faith. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit. I've given you power. We just need to step out by faith and trust that the voice we've heard measures up to what scripture says. And we're just going to take a step of faith. And if we're wrong, we learn. If we're right, we grow. And either way, it's it's a win-win situation. So there's just a few thoughts about how to discern God's voice over the other voices in our head. But um, just know that that's a normal thing that, that most people would struggle with, I would say, on a daily basis, multiple times a day, is, is what voices are those that are, are shaping my thoughts. Second question, um, if I had one question, what would I ask God? I, it's tricky because I ask God questions all the time. Like I'm, most of my prayer life is asking God questions. Um, some he answers, others he doesn't. Um, one question I probably would have is, is flies, like the insects, flies. Like what's the deal with flies? Why? Um, what's their purpose? Did you have to? Uh, I... I get angered by flies. Flies annoy me. They frustrate me. Um, so I'd be I'd be asking God the question about why flies. Um, but if I had to answer something a bit more spiritual, I, I would probably um, like to ask the question about why it is we struggle so much 
um, by putting so much emphasis and importance and significance on temporary things, oftentimes at the expense of eternal things, that we we as people can worry so much about things that really, in the light of all of eternity, don't mean very much at all, but we put so much significance on them now um, that it sort of distracts us from seeing the beauty and the grandeur of the big picture of life and having an eternal lens to view things on that I think would bring us so much more joy, contentment and satisfaction in the life we have now. So that's probably my question is, is why do we spend so much time prioritizing the temporary over the eternal? So I hope that answers your question. But like I said, I ask God questions all the time. So um, question three, um, how and why has technology affected spirituality? This is a, a great question. Um, how has technology affected spirituality? I, I would say that... Um, Technology has had a massive, massive effect on spirituality um, and both in a positive context and in a negative context. And I think we need to be um, be really discerning about that too because we can be really quick to just say, oh, this is, this is bad, this is terrible, and we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But actually, it can be a really big blessing as well. I kind of think the advancement of technology is, is in the similar basket of say money uh, money is an excellent servant but it's a terrible master and technology is the same it's an excellent amazing servant when it does what we want it to do when we are in control of it, when we put it to work for us it's amazing but when it's a master when it controls our emotions when it controls our diary when it controls our life when it controls uh how we think and how we view ourselves and how we view other people, that's awful. It's destructive. And so, so technology is a huge blessing, but it can be a huge curse. How has it affected spirituality? Well, I think, first of all, I'll start with the positive. I think if most of us would open up our, our smartphones today, um, we would more than likely have the app U version on our phone. And if you haven't, you should go to the uh, iTunes on iTunes Store and download the free app, version. This app has dozens of translations of the Bible and hundreds if not thousands of devotions and Bible reading plans that you can utilize to help grow your faith and, and expand your, your spirituality. Um, uh, reading statistics this week, uh, recently version app has just ticked over being installed on 100 million devices worldwide. 100 million devices. Uh, they, they estimate that, that at any given second of the day, uh, the version app is opened on 66,000 people's devices at any given second of the day. It's incredible. And so technology has advanced in such a way that we now have uh, an immense amount of information right at our fingertips, uh, more so than any other time in history. So we have access to God's word. We have access to other people's teachings and insights and resources to help us to grow and flourish in our spirituality. So I think um, technology has been hugely 
uh, helpful in our accessing information. But not, not only has it been helpful in us accessing information, but it's been helpful in, in, in us proclaiming the gospel, putting information back out there. I think never in history have we had an opportunity to individually impact and reach so many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think our, our social media presence as an individual is, a, is an incredible opportunity for what I call soft evangelism, that we can put uh, scriptures, we can put thoughts, we can put encouraging words out there, we can put testimonies or stories out there on our Instagram page, on our Facebook page to uh, encourage and inspire and ultimately advance the gospel uh, for Jesus Christ and reach far more people than we could have, say, 10 or 15 years ago. So so in that regard, technology has been a, a huge, um, you know, positive uh, factor in, in the, the evangelistic endeavors of the, the Christian. And I would encourage people to, to really assess um, the reasons why they use social media and also how they use social media, that it can be actually utilized for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that, that technology is not a demonic force that is, called, that is suppressing Christians and, and binding us up. It can actually be used as a beautiful resource for us to share the, the, the incredible message we have of Jesus to a world out there in seconds, in moments, that, that we can just share and post uh, incredible content that can really help people in a time of need that might be scrolling through their feed and, and, and are feeling depressive, are feeling low about themselves, and they can read something from us, a scripture, a story, or whatever, and they can they can feel the power and the love of the Holy Spirit in that moment. So I think um, technology has had a, a massive impact positively on uh, on spirituality, and I think also. I'd be um, foolish to not acknowledge the fact that it's had a negative impact on spirituality as well. I think while at the same time we've got this incredible amount of resource at our fingertips that can be helpful to us, this same amount of information can actually be uh, harmful to us as well. It can be quite distracting. It can be quite um, destructive. And, and so the internet is filled with so much stuff. For me, like, I find it very distractive. I, I could just... Um, scroll YouTube for hours and just watch mind-numbing nothing um, videos of people falling over and hurting themselves. I could watch that over and over again. And it's just a distraction to what I could be doing to building up my spirit or building up my mind. Um, And so so I guess in that regard, it's negative in the fact that I've got so much information that I have access to uh, that can distract me from actually growing spiritually in my faith. and, and the distractions, while they can be innocent, like just browsing YouTube, they can actually be quite destructive um, in the fact that now uh, pornography is so prolific on the internet. Um, and I'm not going to go into the, the whys and hows pornography is bad. We're just going to um, work from the premise that pornography is destructive, pornography is hurtful, and there's enough statistics out there and ruined lives out there to say that pornography is bad. And so I'm not going to go into that debate this morning, but what I want to talk about is is how how uh, infiltrated pornography, the destructive force of pornography, has has got a grip on, on technology. Um, uh, an article in Huffington Post uh, recently said that um, in, at any month, um, there is more traffic towards pornography sites than Amazon, Netflix, and uh, Twitter combined. Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined 
have less traffic to them every month than pornography sites. Uh, they estimate that 35% of all downloads on the internet are porn related. Uh, approximately just over one third of all data that is transferred across the internet is pornography. Um, data was released last year that uh, in 2018 alone, there was five billion five hundred and seventeen million hours of pornography viewed on the world's largest pornography website that is one website where 5.5 billion hours of pornography was viewed that's crazy what that works out to be is that in every second of the day in 2018 there was 175 hours of pornography being watched every second like that is absolutely mind-boggling and so uh, so we can see that um, technology has had a, a an incredibly detrimental impact on spirituality as well because we now have access to this stuff and it's so prolific it can be destructive to our soul uh, and not to mention the, the the negative effects on social media um, I, I love the fact that Instagram has recently changed how you can't see the volume of likes on other people's posts. I think that's a cool thing. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, as long as we have our identity in anything other than Christ, we're going to be let down, we're going to be discontent, and we're going to live a life of, uh, of unsatisfactory fulfillment because we're trying to fill our life with a, a substance that is a counterfeit to the true substance, which is the Holy Spirit, which bears witness to our, our being made in the likeness of God. And so when we try to fill our identity with a, a substance that isn't made in the likeness of God or isn't God itself, then we're going to fall short and, and we're going to find ourselves uh, struggling and floundering in life uh, because we're never going to be truly satisfied or truly uh, fulfilled. I think um, another thing technology has done is while we have access to great content and, and, and incredible amounts of um, like Bible literature and study and resources, uh, what it else has done too is that people have have begun to outsource their discipleship or outsource their pastoral care to their favorite speakers, whoever their most dynamic the most dynamic speaker is, whoever they, they like the most or who speaks the way that they enjoy the most, that's usually who they will listen to for discipleship or listen to for pastoral care. And it almost makes the local church pastor a little bit redundant um, because they're comparing this person's public profile to their local minister and go, well, he doesn't quite or she doesn't quite measure up. So I'm going to outsource uh, my feelings and affection towards leadership to this person online because I have access to their resource at the detriment to the local church who, who has been called to actually care and look after the flock in that congregation. Um, and I think not only do people outsource their pastoral care, people can even outsource their tithes. They outsource their weekly sacrificial giving to the ministries that they like the most. There's all these ministries available that tickle their fancy. And rather than sowing into the local church that is called to reach the community with which you live in a, in a local context, uh, people are outsourcing their regular sacrificial giving to things other than the local church where they're called to grow and be a part of and help one another. So, um, so technology has brought about that problem for us as well. 
And I think all of this can be solved, um, like I talked about at the very start, as if when we realize that technology is to be our servant and not our master, that we control it, we we determine the parameters with which it will work, and, and we put it to work for us, we don't work for it. We're not a slave to technology because it will take us to a very dark place of dissatisfaction and unfulfillment. Um, fourth question. Okay. Uh, moving on, uh, how has the disintegration of traditional family values affected our society? Big question. How has the disintegration of traditional family values affected our society? Well, these are my thoughts. Um, and these are just my thoughts that I, I base on my observations of life, of society, of this um, progressive agenda that seems to be out there. Uh, and, and what I observe is that um, this disintegration that this question alludes to is manifested in, uh, I see it in children um, wanting to be parents. Children wanting to have authority over their parents and, and they've got more rights and they've got more uh, privileges and things like that and not knowing their place in that traditional family structure of being the child who comes under their parents. Instead, the children now, in, in my observation, seem to be in a position of authority over their parents. Um, and I see this, this dynamic happening in the parents where I see, uh, I see mums who are growing uh, more and more dissatisfied with just being a woman. Um, and so therefore, they're trying to prove themselves by um, being overtly, um, almost aggressive in achievement and wanting to prove to the world that they're more than just a woman, as if being a woman is, is a bad thing in itself, um, which I think that's something that, that I would love to attack too, that um, that being a woman is an incredible thing, just like being a man is an incredible thing and being a child is an incredible thing. Um, and that leaves men in, in a category that I observe as uh, uh, they're sort of the only option that men seem to find or seem to have available to them is to be uh, passive and compliant. And if they're anything other than passive or compliant, um, then they're seen to be misogynistic or bigots or some so somehow part of this um, patriarchy that is designed to bring down women and oppress women. Um, and I think as long as men don't know who they are or where they fit in, I guess, a family context, um, and while women are dissatisfied with being women and children want to be adults, then we're going to find the balance of how God wants the family unit to work um, completely out of whack. And we're going to see more and more confusion in society. Uh, and, and the whole thing that we've said in church for a long time now is that when 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 the devil can dismember a, a, a marriage then he will dis disassemble a, a family and when families crumble communities break down when communities break down society breaks down and that's what we're seeing is but we're seeing it at an identity level that, that the devil is is challenging people and bringing a dissatisfaction in who they are as individuals that they're not good enough that they should be something else they should be more than and so that breaks down every part of the family unit because it starts with identity and then as that breaks down community starts to crumble underneath it um, but I kind of think that there is there is strength there is freedom um, and there is there is much blessing when people know who they are according to how God designed them to be 
um, that that men can celebrate being men and the roles that men has called uh, the, the roles that God has called men to have. That women can be satisfied in being women, and they can be the best that God has called them to be in that. And that children can find the freedom in knowing that that mum and dad are going to be there for me, to protect me, to nurture me, to look after me, and care for me. And so I can rest in that without trying to wrestle for authority or power. Uh, once we identify those things, and not just uh, get comfortable in in who we are in those roles, but also celebrate one another in each other's roles. And we can highlight women and celebrate the great role they do as mothers and as daughters and as sisters. And women can celebrate men and the great role that they are as fathers and as sons and as brothers. Then I think we we will start to grow a much healthier society um, because we will start to tighten up the the family unit as God had intended it to be um, from the beginning of time. And I think if we think because we are progressive or we are forward thinking or we are with the times that we somehow know better than God, that somehow that history before us was uh, Neanderthal in their thinking and in their theology. I think we sort of uh, put ourselves in a place of pride and the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. So we need to reassess ourselves to go, maybe maybe in our progressiveness, we need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and, and come back to more of a, a fundamentalist view on, on how God sees the family unit and the family structure working and the freedom and the flourishing that you and I can experience when we find uh, comfort in the in the role that God has for us as individuals. Um, last question. Okay, uh, this question is, is a cool question. I love this question. Um, is there a difference between being religious and being a Christian? Uh, oftentimes people will say to me, if they say, oh, are you a Christian? Are you religious? I'm like, well, no, I'm not religious. And the, the average person probably wouldn't know the difference between um, the word religious and the word Christian. And, and to put it really simply, um, the word religious is implies that a person has uh, submitted themselves to the blind following of man-made rules, regulations, and traditions. That is religion. Um, and Christianity is is where man has surrendered themselves to enjoy uh, a relationship with God as our father and we become his children. And so we start to engage with God in a way that a child would engage with their father, uh, not as a, a compliant member of a society would just obey the rules of the government. Um, that That is the difference between religion and Christianity, that Christianity is far more about relationship with God than it is about just following a formula that men have put in place in their interpretation of God. And so um, I could say a lot about this. I mean, when I think about Jesus and his ministry here on earth, uh, the, the main people who he would oppose and he would engage with and, and reject were the religious people, the ones that would impose uh, traditions and regulations on people in order to suppress them and keep them bound. These were the people that Jesus went after the most. And so if we're called to be more like Christ, well, then we're called to be less like religious zealots and more like people who pursue a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And what I thought we might do as a way of closing this morning's message is just to play a quick little video that I think really beautifully articulates um, uh, this idea of the difference between religion and Christianity as a a faith-based community. So enjoy this video. Uh, Thank you so much for being here this morning. Sorry I couldn't be there with you, uh, but my my thoughts, my prayers are with you and for you as always. I can't wait to be back with you worshiping next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week. Enjoy this video.
What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, he looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine, and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast. We trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you. We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.